her hand so tightly as if it were the most precious thing in the world against his chest. She could feel his heart drumming strong and vibrant beneath the cream-coloured satin of his waistcoat. Goodness, she thought with some astonishment, I believe he is about to propose. Which he promptly did. Victoria, Lord Malfrey said, the moonlight bringing into high relief the planes of his regularly featured face. He was such a handsome man with his square jaw and broad shoulders. He would, Victoria decided with some satisfaction, make a very dashing husband indeed. I know we have not been acquainted long, just under three months, but these past few weeks, oh, well, they have been the happiest I've ever known. It breaks my heart that tomorrow I shall have to leave you to travel on to England alone, for I have business to attend to in Lisbon. Oh, well, she said, trying to sound airily unconcerned. Perhaps we shall meet again in London by and by. Never say by and by when it concerns us, Lord Malfrey said, flattening her palm against his heart with both hands. For I never met a girl quite like you, Victoria, so beautiful, so intelligent, so competent with the help I cannot imagine what a perfect creature like you could ever see in a pitiful wastrel like myself. But I promise that if, whilst I am in Lisbon, you'll wait for me and then upon my return deign to give me your hand in marriage, I will love you until the day I die and do nothing but try to make myself worthy of you. La, Victoria thought very pleased at this turn of events. Her uncle John would be quite put out when he heard about it, however. He'd wagered Victoria wouldn't get a proposal until she'd been at least a year in England. And here she was, getting one before even setting foot on shore. He wouldn't be at all happy about owing her uncles, Henry and Jasper, a fiver. Oh, oh dear! Victoria said in tones of great and completely feigned distress. Oh, this is all so terribly sudden, Lord Malfrey. Please, Lord Malfrey said. Call me Hugo. Oh, very well. Hugo, Victoria said in her most womanly voice. I... It was always a good idea. Victoria's ayah had told her, to leave young men in some suspense as to your true feelings for them. Accordingly, Victoria was about to tell young Lord Malfrey that his ardour had taken her completely unawares, and that, as she was but sixteen, and hardly yet ready for matrimony, she'd have to turn down his kind proposal. For now. With any luck, this answer would throw the poor young man into such a fit of passion that he might do something rash, such as heave himself overboard, which would be very exciting indeed. All of her hopes for a dramatic and hopefully very damp climax to this tender scene were dashed, however, when, just as Victoria was about to turn down Lord Malfrey's proposal, a deep and all-too-familiar voice reached her from across the ship's deck, its accents, as always, dripping with sarcasm. There you two are, Jacob Carstairs drawled as he stepped out of the shadows by the rigging. The captain was wondering. Oh, 
I say, I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Victoria snatched her hand out from beneath the Earl's grip. Oh, certainly not, she said quickly. What a tiresome young man this Jacob Carstairs was. Since he joined the Harmony at the Cape of Good Hope six weeks earlier, he seemed always to be appearing at the most inopportune times, such as whenever Victoria and the Earl happened to find a rare moment alone together. And it wasn't as if Captain Carstairs, for in spite of his youth, the interfering young gentleman was a naval officer, was so very pleasing a companion. Why, he wore his collar points shockingly low, instead of level with the corners of his mouth, as Lord Malfrey and all the most stylish young men were wearing them. And he had been exceedingly disrespectful to Victoria the time he had overheard her advising Captain White that his crew would be a good deal less discontented if they were only made aware of the merits of higher thought. Mr. Carstairs had taken to calling her Miss B, as in Busy B, and had ventured that if she was always at this intent on offering her assistance to people who hadn't asked for it, it was no wonder her bachelor uncles were sending her to live with relatives back in England. And yet here Jacob Carstairs was, butting his nose into the private affairs of his fellow ship passengers. Why, it was infuriating. Lord Malfrey seemed to think so too, if his next words were any indication. Actually, Carstairs, the Earl said in his smooth, cultured tone, you are interrupting something. So sorry, Jacob Carstairs said, not sounding the teeniest bit sorry. But Mrs. White wants Lady Victoria. Kindly tell Mrs. White I shall be there directly, Victoria said, hoping that perhaps in the moonlight Mr. Carstairs hadn't noticed how very close she and the Earl had been standing. That hope was dashed, however, when Jacob Carstairs said, in a tone that sounded not unlike one of her uncles, No, my lady, you had better go and see Mrs. White now. Victoria felt another hot flush fill her cheeks. How dare he order her about as if she were his middy. Jacob Carstairs, with his impertinent ways, needed a lesson in manners. And Victoria thought she knew just who could best give this lesson to the unfortunate captain. Accordingly, she turned to Lord Malfrey, and giving him her hand once more, said gravely, My lord, in answer to your question, I would be honoured to be your wife. The look of astonishment that flickered across Captain Carstairs's face at that moment quite made up for Victoria's no longer being able to look forward to Lord Malfrey's leaping overboard in frustrated passion. In all, she congratulated herself on a job well done. Very well done indeed. England Victoria gazed at the crowded and busy wharf through the captain's spyglass. So this, she thought, was England at last. She had to confess herself unimpressed. England so far was nothing like her uncles had led her to believe. The dock was almost exactly like the one she left in Bombay some three months earlier, being both dirty and exceedingly disorganised-looking. 
and of course there was the fact that above their heads hung a leaden and sullen sky, while the sky that had stretched across Victoria's beloved Jaipur had nearly always been cloudless and as deeply blue as a Maharaja's sapphire, except during the monsoon season, of course. Is it the rainy season then, Captain? Victoria asked, passing the spyglass back to Captain White, who along with his wife had acted as her chaperone throughout the long ocean voyage. The rainy season? The captain echoed with a chuckle. Oh, my lady, in England, I, I, I'm sorry to say, but it's never anything but. Oh, there's the longboat, Mrs. White said as the sound of a scrape was heard portside. In a moment, the swing will arrive to take you down, my lady. Now, you mustn't be frightened of the swing. It is perfectly safe. Oh, why, Captain Carstairs, oh, there you are. I, I was just saying to, to Lady Victoria that she needn't fear the swing, that, in fact, it is quite safe. Oh, do reassure her as well, won't you? Mr. Carstairs, Victoria noted after the briefest of glances in his direction, still wore the insolent grin he seemed to have had on ever since Lisbon. She pressed her lips together and wished heartily, as she'd been doing ever since the captain had interrupted her moonlit proposal, that Jacob Carstairs might suffer a, a shipboard accident that would render him comatose. I am certain, he said in the cool mocking tone that so infuriated Victoria every time she heard it, that her ladyship needs no such assurances from me. Any young woman who has been brought up as Lady Victoria informs me that she has, by three de-